Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Paul the Apostle says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I want to preach a message today titled, Wiles of War. Will you say that with me? Wiles of War. Notice in the scripture we just read, it said that you may be able to stand. Then two verses later, Paul in Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand. Notice that. That you may be able to stand, and that you may be able to withstand. So up front, I hope at this point in our series that you have accepted about spiritual warfare that there is a part for you to play in Christ. That there is not to be passivity or an attitude completely regarding spiritual warfare. Well, I'll just leave it up to God. That's not a biblical attitude. That's not a biblical posture regarding the topic and the theme of spiritual warfare. Notice Paul in verse 13 says, having done all, having done all, stand. The Greek there, having done all, which you might not care about, the Greek, but I care about it because I have to, uh, before God, make sure that you are taught and understand the word of God correctly. But the Greek there, where it says, uh, having done all, it means to be rendered fit. For a purpose or duty. Paul is saying, having done all, meaning having been rendered fit for spiritual warfare, now stand. Now withstand. In fact, he kicks off this passage regarding spiritual warfare in the armor of God in Ephesians 6 in verse 10 saying, finally, finally my brethren. Finally what? Having done all what? Well, all that he said up to that point in Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. Meaning you cannot begin to be able to stand and be able to withstand if we do not understand and apply all that he said up to that point in Ephesians 6. I mean Ephesians 1 through 6. Then having done all, having been rendered fit regarding what he said in chapters 1 through 6. Then he says, also put on the armor of God, and also take up the armor of God. Now, one of the interesting things he says in Ephesians 4, before this point that we read, in Ephesians 4, 27, he says, nor give place to the devil. He says, also, I don't want you to give place to the devil. That's why he says, nor, meaning also. Why does he say also don't give place to the devil? Because that means there are some other influences that you can give place to. And that's what he's been talking about in Ephesians 1 through 6. Is that there's other things you can give place to. But I don't want you to give place to those. Nor give place to the devil. Now what's some of the things that he's mentioned up to this point? 
Well, Paul's been exhorting believers to give no place to the flesh, no place to the world, and no place to the law or religion. Meaning he's been saying by putting away what needs to be put away, childish things, habits, attitudes, pursuits, passions, behaviors, and conduct of the old creation, the old you. He's been saying put away those things, put off those things. Why? Because listen, the armor of God will not fit if you don't put off the conduct, clothes, and fruit of the old you. See, the armor fits the new you. You who have been born again. You who are a child of God. The armor of God doesn't fit the old you, nor the old habits, the old attitudes. The armor of God only fits you, the new you. It doesn't fit the old habits plus the new you. So Paul is saying, therefore, give no place to the flesh. Give no place to the world. Give no place to the law and religion. Nor give place to the devil. Now what is the flesh then if we're not to give place to it? Let me help you out. Flesh is the sinful passions and desires for pleasure. See, listen. God's created us in Christ to not be a people living for pleasure, but a people living for his purpose. But the flesh is living for sinful passions and desires for pleasure. What's the world? Well, Apostle John in 1 John 2.16 defined the world as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, don't give place to the flesh, the sinful passions. Don't give place to the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Nor don't give place to the law and religion. Well, what is that? Well, the law and religion is adherence to a set of beliefs and principles to seek right standing or right living before God. See, listen to me. We're not called to a set of principles. We're called to a living person named Jesus Christ. And it's only that living person, Jesus Christ, that makes us right with God and gives us the grace and the ability to live righteous before God. But he, Paul's saying you can't give place of trying to attain right standing with God or attain right living just by principles. Because we've been joined to a person. And principles don't have dunamis power and grace. But the person of Jesus Christ came full of grace and full of truth. Then after that, Paul says, nor give place to the devil. Why? Because remember what we said? Or what we read in Ephesians 6, 11? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Watch this. Against what? The wiles of the devil. The devil has wiles. Another word for wiles is schemings. He's a schemer. Now, what's one of the things that the devil seeks to scheme in your life? Forgetfulness. In Matthew chapter 3, you read about, in the Gospel of Matthew, how Jesus was water baptized. When he comes up out of the waters, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then a voice spoke from heaven. It crackled through the air. It spoke like thunder. And God said, this is my son. And whom I'm well pleased. Now you pick it up in Matthew 4 verse 1. Then it says immediately he was led, Jesus, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights he was, uh, he was hungry. I can imagine that. Now when the tempter came to him, here comes the wiles of the enemy, the schemes of the enemy. He said to Jesus, 
if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. In verse 5, he did the same thing. He takes him up on the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Notice that. Where did the enemy begin to scheme? He began to try to get Jesus to forget the very last thing that God the Father spoke to him. And that's what his goal was this week. Is to get you to forget the promise, the, the rhema, what God has said about you, what God has promised to do in you, what God says he promised he has for your future. The devil is scheming to get you to forget the very last thing that the Father has spoken over your life. To scheme. This is why the G's. See, I used to hang out with some G's. At least we thought we, you know, we called ourselves that back in my day. But now I have some new G's. And, and the, this is why the G's of the DP strategy, which are rooted in the design of God, are so important. You say, what are these G's? Gathering, growing, grouping, giving as we're going. Because listen, they serve as catalysts to keep us for, from forgetting who we are. Right now, you're at a gathering. And one of the ways that the Lord uses this gathering is to remind you of who you are. That you're not just like other people. That you're, if you're born again, you're a citizen of heaven. You're a child of light. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. You're a sojourner and a pilgrim. And you don't fit into this world. But when we gather, the Holy Spirit can remind us, least we give in to the scheme of the enemy and forget who we truly are. We're pilgrims, citizens of heaven above. We're soldiers of Jesus Christ. So a while of the enemy is forgetfulness, but there's three other wiles of the enemy, of the, enemy the devil, I want to look at in a remainder of our time today. They are, number one, the lion's lies. Number two, the lion's den. And lastly, the lion's surprise. Let me talk to you at first about the lion's lies. Do you know that the devil is a liar? Jesus said he's the father of lies. He seeks to multiply lies. He's been a liar from the very beginning of time. Therefore, his scheme is to lie to you. His scheme is to lie to me. His scheme is to lie to us. Therefore, in this war, here's what you and I face. Here's the reality. Lies or liberty. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, the apostle Peter begins to talk about the lion's lies. He says, be sober. You know what that means? Don't be forgetful. You know what happens when people get drunk, intoxicated? They forget. Substance abuse? Forget. But he says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, said fast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice what Peter says. He says the devil, the adversary, walks about like a roaring lion. Now, I wasn't good in English, believe it or not. But one thing that did stick in my mind early on that I did get in English was a simile. Like or as. That it's like the same thing. I got that one. Notice the devil is like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but he seeks to scheme and masquerade himself as a roaring lion. 
And this is why the devil tries to get us to forget who we are so that we start scheming in our life by us trying to masquerade as someone different than who we are, that we're children of God, that we're unashamed of the gospel, we're unashamed of Jesus Christ, we're unashamed of his word, we're unashamed that we're citizens of heaven, children of light, that shine in the midst of corruptness and crookedness. He seeks to get us to masquerade. Because he has to masquerade because if we truly see him and who he is, there's nothing appealing of him. He seeks to masquerade. So he says, listen, he's like a roaring lion, but he's not a lion. Why? Because he has no authority over a believer in Christ. The devil has absolutely no authority over a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. He seeks to make a lot of noise. He seeks to make a lot of rattle. By using his voice to speak lies to me and to you and to us, he seeks to instill doubt, to instill panic, to instill fear, and instill intimidation. This is the scheme of the devil, is to speak lies. Some of you got to understand that not everything you hear is your thoughts. In fact, if you have an unrenewed mind and not walking in the spirit, the majority of what you're hearing in the day isn't coming from the new you, your spirit. Because your mind hasn't had the mind of Christ formed in it and become fortified by the truth of God's word, by the anointing, by the spirit of truth. And he seeks to instill these lies to create doubt, panic, fear, intimidation. And notice what Peter says. We're to walk steadfast in the faith that we receive. We are to walk steadfast in what the Father has said about us. Just like Jesus in the wilderness, the devil came. If you are the Son of God, he what? was steadfast in the faith. He didn't forget what the Father declared on him over his life. You can't forget the promises of God that are for you. You can't forget what God has promised to you. you got to be steadfast in the faith. And notice one of the keys that Peter mentions in dealing with the lies. lies. We're to know that the same types of sufferings are experienced by all believers worldwide. Do you understand that every follower of Jesus Christ and everyone here right now has a battle of faith somewhere? Do you understand that it might not be the exact same situation and circumstance as you, but Peter said, do not let the devil deceive you. And where you begin to think you're alone, he said, these sufferings are common to all the brotherhood, to all the children of God. Meaning this is spiritual warfare. This is how the spiritual warfare takes place, is the lion's lies. Notice Paul also speaks about the devil's lies, the lion's lies. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Paul writing to the church in Corinth says, Oh, that you would bear with me with a little folly. And indeed you do bear with me. Because he wasn't going to stop writing yet. He's writing a letter. For I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, least somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about the scheme of the devil. The lines lies. The thoughts that he sends to your mind. And then he brings Eve into this picture. As an example of spiritual warfare. Eve you find in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God created mankind. He created the male and female. And Adam, Adam he created Eve. And you find in Genesis 
that God had told Eve, eat of every tree but one. And be fruitful and multiply my image on the earth. Now that's simple instructions. Could you imagine those educators in the room and teachers, if all you had to do to get people to live out their purpose was just tell them, look, you see every tree but that one, eat of it. And just be fruitful and multiply. That's what's called simplicity. See, listen to me. The more you follow Jesus, the more you're actually maturing, the more simplified things get. They don't get more complicated. They get more simplified because you have a singleness of purpose. You have a singleness of vision. You have a singleness that you have been betrothed to one, and his name is Jesus Christ. So you say, well, I don't believe you. That's fine. Believe the apostle John. In 1 John 2, when he talks about fathers and mothers in the faith, spiritual fathers and mothers mature, you know what he says? He talks about children and young men and young women in the faith, and he lists these characteristics. He says one thing about fathers and mothers in the faith. He says they know one thing, him who is from the beginning. They don't know a lot of principles. They don't know a lot. They know him. They know Jesus. They know God is revealed in Jesus Christ. What is that? That's simplified. They know him. They know him. Because the devil seeks to deceive our minds from the simplicity of what God has said. What God said to you. Because notice when he came to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, then do something. Meaning, it's not just simple as believe what God says. Now you've got to prove it. No, no, no. The God who spoke it is the God who will prove it. What God speaks to you, you don't prove for God. What he speaks to you, he will prove for you and for others. That the same God that spoke it is the same God that's able to bring it to pass. Then the devil shows up. God told Eve, look, all the trees but one, eat, be fruitful. The devil comes and he goes, Eve, did God really say? Watch this, you shall not. See, God said you shall eat of every but one. The devil takes a positive and turns it into negative because he says, you shall not eat of every tree. Did God really say that? He made God's word into a negative. God says, here's a positive. You see all the trees? Eat of all of them but one. The devil comes and says, did God really say you cannot eat of all the trees? He turned a positive that they could freely eat of all but one into a negative. Because listen. The devil seeks to get you focused on what you can't do instead of all that with God you can do. They could have ate all the trees but one. And the devil tried to get their mind to forget of all that they can do in God and get their mind on the one thing they can't do. He turned a positive into a negative. And what happens is, is once your mind gets focused on the exception instead of the every other tree of the garden you can freely eat, then you begin to see God, you begin to see his will, you begin to see it as negative instead of a positive for your good. And when you begin to think about God, when you begin to think about God's will as negative, now he's got you. Because now he can lie to you regarding God's intent for you. Because now you think... You're seeing what God asked of you as negative, so the devil can lie and say the reason is, is because God doesn't intend to do you good. He's trying to keep you from something that's actually for your good. It's a lie. So listen. The devil says disobedience 
will lead to a positive. But the devil says disobedience will lead to a positive because his intent is to harm you. Where God says obedience to my will leads to a positive because God's obe being obedient to God's will leads to good. Why? Because his intent is for your good. The devil says disobedience will work out good for you. You know why he says that? Because he's out to harm you. But God says obedience will lead to your good. Why? Because his intent is to do you good. That he truly is a good, good father. Second Corinthians 10 verse 3, Paul, still writing to the Corinthians, he talks about the lion's lies and what the spiritual warfare and our role in regarding the lion's lies. And in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, in the body, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Listen, Paul says you must take captive the lies of the lion. Listen, he says God's not going to do it for you. Angels are not going to do it for you. The Holy Spirit's not going to do it for you. Jesus is not going to do it for you. You must take the lying, the lies of the line captive into obedience of Christ. Because you have a role. You have a part in Christ regarding spiritual warfare. And if you don't take the lies captive into obedience to Christ and who the true knowledge of who God is, as revealed in Jesus, as communicated through the pattern of sound teaching and the right understanding and application of it, then what happens is, is the devil, when you accept the lie, will begin to put multiple lies regarding that situation or that theme or that issue. And this is like what my children do often. It's called an activity book. In fact, these type of activity books were around even when I was young. But one of the things in the activity book is you'll find on a piece of paper, there's a bunch of black dots. And above the black dot is a number. So there'll be a black dot and has a one. There'll be another black dot has a two. Another black dot has a three. And the activity is, is you connect the dots in order based on the number. And when all the dots get connected, voila, there's a picture. This is what the devil's scheme is. He tries to get you to accept the thought, a black dot. About you, about a circumstance, about another person, about what you're going through. And when you accept that black dot, then he tries to send more thoughts, more black dots regarding that issue. And when there's enough black dots that's connected about what you're going through uh, regarding God, regarding your situation, then he's created an argument. This is what Paul says. That lies of the line not taken captive will lead to an argument. And you know you have an argument where you're in a setting where you're hearing the rightly communicated, rightly applied word of God by the anointing of God. And you're arguing against what you're hearing. Meaning as I speak scripture, if your mind starts going, well, what about Nancy? What about this person? What about that sir? That's an argument. And arguments in your mind arguing against the spoken word of God by the anointing of the spirit of truth. An argument. And Paul says when you get multiple arguments about a circumstance, about you, about another, about God, it leads to a stronghold. And a stronghold is this. It's when you can't see any other way but through the lens of that deception. 
any other way. So Paul says, listen, you are delivered from the lion's lies when you use the weapons of our warfare. You have weapons to help you take captive the thoughts so you don't have multiple thoughts that lead to an argument and multiple arguments that lead to a stronghold, meaning you plus the use of the weapons of our warfare equals standing in the liberty that you have in Christ. We are to resist the lion's lies with the weapon of truth rightly applied. Look at Galatians 5 and 1 where Paul says, Stand fast, therefore. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 6, right? Stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Galatians 5 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke or bondage. Paul says, listen, it's either lies or liberty. Either you stand fast in the liberty by taking the lies of the lion captive into obedience of Christ, or you let the lies have free reign. And they'll create arguments and strongholds in your mind. Meaning, you standing fast in liberty is dependent on you plus you using the weapons. You standing in lies is dependent on you not using the weapons. So listen, lies taken captive equals you standing in liberty that you have in Christ. But the alternate is true. Lies given liberty equals you being taken captive. So the devil has the scheme. The lines lies. Deliverance comes by you using your weapons. And you'll stand in the liberty. But here's the thing. Guess what? We as people of God, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we also have a scheme. The devil's not the only one that's got a scheme. It's just his scheme is to destroy and bring harm. We have a scheme to help people. Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. What's he mean? So the serpent had a scheme and came to Eve's mind. We have a scheme, but our scheme's like a dove. It's gentle. It's pure. It's for the helping of others, not the harming of others. And guess what our scheme is? Is the devil and the lion has lies. Will we speak the truth in love? The same mind that the devil's after, we have a scheme after that mind to speak the truth of God's word to. That we have access to people's ears and we can plant the seed of God's word into those ears, into that mind, hoping that it takes root by speaking the truth in love. The devil is not the only one that's scheming. He's scheming to tell lies to destroy and to harm, but we're scheming to tell the truth in love to help people. Yeah. Made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. So there is the lion's lie. Secondly, there's the lion's den. The lion's den. You find the lion's den about the story of Daniel. And in Daniel, you read about King Darius. He set 120 persons, 120 leaders over all of his kingdom. Then he set three men over the 120 leaders. One of the three was a man named Daniel. He was a Hebrew. He had been taken captive from Judah. When they fell captive to the enemy, and a big exile happened, uh, bringing them under King Darius' rule. And Daniel was one of those taken captive. But the scripture says regarding Daniel that he had an excellent spirit. And he distinguished himself from the others. So much that the king was thinking about putting Daniel over all the other leaders. 
over the other two that made up the three and over all the 120 to make him the top leader under the king. Now when the other governors, the other leaders, heard about this, they were infuriated. So they sought to find a charge against Daniel related to the kingdom. But here's the thing. The scripture says they could find no fault. They could find no charge because he was faithful. Daniel wasn't giving place to the flesh. Daniel wasn't out at the club. Daniel wasn't going back to the old ways. Daniel wasn't slandering and, and stealing from his work. Daniel wasn't living like the other unbelievers. He wasn't giving into the flesh. He wasn't living for the world. He was not living for the law. He was living for a person, his Lord, his creator. And because the devil... And the people scheming against Daniel couldn't find any wrong in him. They had to lay the scheme of what's called the lion's den. They go to the king because they realize that they shall not find any charge against Daniel unless they found it against him concerning his obedience to his God. So they go to the king and they tell the king, establish a royal statute, a royal law. Make a firm decree. That whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of life. See, this is a progressive agenda. This is a, a godless agenda. It says, listen, it, people can't pray to a god. People can't do it. But they got to pray to you, one king. That sounds a lot like something called an antichrist. And the king passes the law. Now, in Daniel 6.10, we pick it up. It says, now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, notice this, he knows that the law's been passed. But in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Ain't that a good sign? He's still in the upper room. Good things happen in the upper room like Acts 2. He's still opened in his heart towards God and his work and his will. He kneels down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. As was his custom since the early days. Verse 11 says, these men assembled, and they found Daniel praying and making supplications before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. They said, king, we've caught Daniel. He's praying. You know why they knew they'd catch Daniel praying? Because it was his custom to pray. Daniel was a man of prayer, whether it was convenient, whether it was a law regarding the circumstances around him. He prayed consistently to his God. And they set a trap. They find him breaking the law. They bring him before the king. And verse 16 says, they cast him into the den of lions. But this, the king liked Daniel. Because Daniel was helping the king's business. Daniel was making the king's uh, authority better. And so the king spoke to Daniel and said, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it. With his own signet ring. Sounds a lot like what they did to Jesus in a tomb and many years later. And with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace, verse 18. Spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him. And his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Listen to me. This is the lion's den. The lion's den is the enemy's scheme when he cannot get a believer to open the door to him. When he can't get a believer to listen to his lies. When he can't get a believer to get placed in through the flesh or spiritual adultery, then the lion's den is schemed and planned. It is a trap. It is a plot to make the good that we do illegal. Since the devil can't get us by us doing evil, by us committing wrongs, he seeks to set up a trap where our pattern of good works and our excellent spirit would land us in the lion's den. This is the enemy seeking to create scenarios that can find fault with our good. See, Daniel had a pattern of spending time with God. It's his custom. And the devil's wisdom filled the hearts of those jealous to him and set up a scenario that would cause Daniel to find himself in the lion's den. Meaning, the lion's den is when you find yourself in a circumstance that good got you there. And you in your own ability can't get yourself out of it because in the lion's den there wasn't just one lion. It was a pack of lions. This means this is a, this is a scheme of the enemy where you're overwhelmed. You're out of your league. You, it's a lawsuit when you don't even know the law. It, it's in an environment that you in your own ability could never get yourself out of. This is not David fighting one lion by the anointing out in the field somewhere. This is a lion's den, a closed borders with multiple lions. And this is an over, over, overwhelming scheme and trap of the enemy. There's only one possible way to be delivered if you ever find yourself in the lion's den. Because you, by your own will, can't get yourself out. You can't talk your way out of it. You can't, through your own ability, get your way out of it. And the only possible way to be delivered is you're delivered out of the lion's den by God plus your surrender. See, it is in the den that declaration is made. It is in the den that we declare God is sovereign. And he and his sovereignty alone is the only possible way out of the lion's den. So we surrender. We surrender declaring he's sovereign in the matter of either delivering us out of the lion's den. Or delivering us out of the lion's den by suffering. Many believers have found themselves in the lion's den and God delivered them out through the suffering of being martyred. See, it's in the lion's den that the only way out is God plus your surrender. And the surrender is that he is sovereign Lord. And he who gave life is he that can take life. But we are completely surrendered that my life is no longer my life, but it's your life and you, sovereign Lord, are the only way out of the den, whether you miraculously, physically get me out or you get me through this long season of suffering to ultimately be in the true land of liberty with Jesus Christ and the Son of the living God. So it's in this lion's den that God is declared to be your sovereign Lord. To deliver from death or to deliver through death. See, it's in the lion's den that we can only do one part 
of James 4, 7. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. We can only do the first part, submit to God. And our role is to surrender to him and his sovereignty for our life. Remember Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. The devil's not the only one with the scheme, the lion's den. We also have a scheme. And just as the enemy seeks to trap people in the lion's den, we seek to create context not to trap people but liberate people. That's what's taking place here. This is not the lion's den of the devil, but it is where the true lion, the lion, the tribe of the Judah roars louder. It says, I love you. I care for you. I can change you. I can forgive you. I can make all things new for you. We create environments. We create fall festivals. We create situations and events where people can come and be around other people that can tell them there's some community that cares for you, that loves you, that Jesus hasn't given up on you. We have schemes as well, not just the enemy. So there is the lion's lies. There is the lion's den. There is standing in lies or standing in liberty. And it is in the den that a declaration is to be made that God is sovereign and we surrender. But then lastly, there is also a scheme called the lion's surprise. You find the lion's surprise in Judges 14, a man named Samson. And in Judges 14 and verse 5, it says, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. And came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise. Everybody say surprise. surprise. A young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. See listen. The scripture says Samson went down to Timnah. He shouldn't have been going down to Timnah. He shouldn't even been in that place. He shouldn't even been in that context. But Samson, because he's going down to Timnah, is lowering himself. He's lowering his potential. He's lowering God's high calling for his life. He is lowering himself. And while he's lowering himself and his potential, he sees a woman. And the Bible says that this woman he sees pleased him. He asked for his parents to get this girl for him. And so he's going back down to Timnah to get this girl in his immaturity, in his innocence, in his lack of character and the development of godly wisdom. He is going down, and this time, to his surprise, everybody say surprise, surprise. a young lion came roaring against him. See, this is the lion's surprise. It's a scheme of the enemy. Where in our innocence and in our ignorance and in our immaturity, the line of surprise comes. It's a surprise attack. It's an attack that you're not prepared for. It's an attack that you're not equipped for. It's an attack that you're not mature enough for. And it often comes early in people's childhood. At two and three and four and five and six and seven. Or it comes early in a new believer's walk with the Lord. It's the line of surprise. Because it is a 
Blind surprise, it is a surprise attack that is trying to take you out before you mature into the image of Jesus Christ. It's trying to take you out before you mature in your high calling in Jesus Christ, walking in your kingdom purpose, walking in your identity in Christ. It's trying to take you out before you mature in wisdom, mature in character, mature in godliness. This is the line surprise. But the amazing thing is, is it's not just the line that's got a surprise, but you find out in the line surprise that our God's got a surprise. And he's got a surprise for the line, and he's also got a surprise for you. Because the scripture says that at the line's surprise and at Samson's surprise, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the line apart, meaning the anointing of God came upon him. And it surprised the line and it surprised Samson. See, the Bible is very clear that the scripture says that God allowed Samson to go down to Timnah. God allowed in Samson in his innocence and in his immaturity and his ignorance to go down because it says God was looking for an opportunity. He was looking for an opportunity to move against the Philistines to see that his kingdom, his will, his truth would prevail on the earth and he was looking for a situation so God allowed Samson to lower himself because he was looking to cause the Philistines to be dealt with. Meaning, listen, Samson going down was not God's best. But God allowed it predetermining that he would then use it for an occasion to bring about an anointing upon Samson's life. An anointing upon Samson that would be used by God to further his purpose in Samson and for Samson, but also his purpose in Samson's sphere around him and for others. Because the story continues, it says in Judges 14, 8, that after some time, somebody say sometime, when he returned to get the girl, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating it. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. See, Samson found that in the lion's surprise, there was some sugar. That there was some honey, some oil, some anointing of God. That where the line surprised him, God turned it around and found sugar and substance and honey and anointing there that not only blessed Samson, but blessed his father and mother. And you see it, it also in, dealt with other people as you read through the story. Meaning this, God's surprise is that the Holy Spirit will have you go back and get revelation and where the carcass of your past and the carcass of that line surprise to find some sugar in that surprise. This is the scheme we have as believers. Is that where the enemy meant for your evil, God meant it for your good. Where the line surprised you before you knew your identity in Christ. You were too young and you got married before you even knew what marriage was. And the line surprised you with a divorce. Or you got surprised having children before you were ready. In that line surprise, the Holy Spirit wants to go back and show you that in the carcass of that past and in that attack, there is some sugar. There is an anointing that God can come upon your life that you can be strengthened, but also that the anointing can work through you to be a blessing with other people that are facing that today. There's sugar in the surprise. It's not just the line that's got a surprise. God's got a surprise that you'll find the greatest anointing. You'll find the greatest use of Christ living through you. It often come out of where that line surprise happened in your life. 
You'll find honey there that will be a blessing to the ears and the mouth and the lives of others to help them be prepared for marriage, to help them not to fall in the same surprise of finding yourself in a context and, and, and getting drunk and then this happening and that. No, God says there's some sugar to be found in the surprise. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, the devil thought he surprised me, and he did. But then God surprised me and everybody else. The devil thought if I hit him early when he first comes back to the Lord that I'll stop this moment, I'll stop the books, I'll stop the disciple of the nations. But God not only surprised the devil, he surprised me that he never left me nor forsake me. He never gave up for me. He said, I want you to go back and see what the enemy meant for your harm, I meant for your good. See, this is a Romans 8, 28 and 29 type thing. That we know that all things work together to our good because we love him and we're called according to his purpose. And in the surprise, we get surprised that the anointing of God comes mightily upon that area Amen. so that we can be a blessing to those around us. I don't know who's in a line surprised or who's been surprised by the line, but the Holy Spirit can reveal that you can find sugar in that old carcass. You can find sugar in that old defeat. You can find sugar in that old uh, hurt. And through it, God can use you to be a blessing to those around you. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So listen, victory and deliverance from the line surprise is you plus the anointing of God. The anointing of That's how you deliver through the line of surprise. You resist. And then God's anointing surprises you. You're surprised of your failure. You're surprised of your weakness. But you don't want it. You don't give in to it. You don't just accept it. You resist it. And then the anointing of God surprises you. The power of God begins to work in that area. Making crooked places straight. Making valleys come out. Mountains of pride being brought low. Places of hurt being mended. Oh, addiction's being broken and liberated. God's got a surprise today for you. He's got sugar in the surprise. He's got an anointing. He's got an empowerment of His Spirit upon that area. It not only bless your lips, it can bless the lips of those around you in their lives. To taste and see that the Lord is good. That He don't leave us in our immaturity. He don't leave us in our missteps. That He is truly our shepherd wants to lead us beside still waters to make us lie down in open pastures, pastures of his presence, pastures of his purpose. Oh, hallelujah. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for our good. I don't know who you are, but if you're here, you want the Holy Spirit to show you sugar in the surprise. Let's stand to our feet. Let's go after God. Let's say, Lord, I want to draw a little bit closer. I want to draw a little bit closer to see your heart around the where the line surprised hit me. To see how your heart wants to get formed in my heart, wants to get formed in that area. How you want to put sugar and an anointing in a substance that becomes a living testimony, a living witness to those around me. Where my life becomes a fragrance of your grace, a fragrance of your mercy. That you never leave us nor forsake us. Let's go after him. Because he went after you. so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.